This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Good morning, good morning. Welcome back to the Ward Scott Files. I am joined here today by Keith Dunn in the Melvin Law Studios, protected by your friends over at Crime Prevention Studios. Well, I appreciate you coming back. Happy Friday to you. I see that you all survived. You know, uh, I'm doing a countdown. We've all survived for 28 days now with permitless carry. We're all supposed to be dead by now, Keith. I don't know if you're aware of that. But uh, on today's show, we're going to get through a few local tidbits uh, here and there, kind of kick those things around. Uh, then we're actually going to get into a constitutional convention topic for yeah, probably a good good part of the first half of the hour because it's a it's a relatively hot topic, and right now we're in between state sessions, and that's the time that we need to start talking to our state representatives about this issue. So I did kind of want to cover that and get a little bit of national uh, scope into the show. I know we talk a little bit about, or actually a lot, about local issues and those sorts of things. Uh, and then after uh, the bottom of the hour break, and we go to weather sponsored by our friends over at Lewis Oil Company, uh, we're going to get a little bit into the what to do about it. But I also wanted to thank Caliber Coffee. Uh, they're a new advertiser here. You'll see their advertisement on the screen uh, this morning. So we want to appreciate them. And please thank all of our sponsors. If you got dry cleaning, go over to uh, our friends over at On The Spot Dry Cleaning. If you got to get a haircut, go over to Style Cuts over next to the uh, the new Publix on 34th Street in that area between 2nd Avenue and West University Avenue. I appreciate all you joining us here on the chat. I will uh, have the thread going over off to my left on the, on my my phone. So if you've got a comment, please uh, join us. Thank you, uh, Julia, Ken, uh, Mr. Cook, and everybody else that's going to be joining us here. Well, uh, I w- this is kind of an interesting uh, day for me because uh, this is actually the guy that kind of got me started in a lot of <laughs> politics. Uh, sorry about that. No, but, not only just the politics, but really just uh, kind of the get off your couch uh, moment about it. But uh, this is a good friend of mine, Keith Dunn. He he lives here locally. And at the time, so I'm going to tell you how I got started in, in JBS. And that's what the connection will be here uh, for Keith. Uh, so, Keith, I don't know if you, you probably don't remember all the details or remember them the same way that I did. <laughs> uh, but I had gotten really kind of interested in... Uh, this whole concept of a one-time senator from a little state like Illinois could possibly become the next president. And that, of course, is uh, Barack Hussein Obama. And I was kicking around the Internet. This is probably 2007, 2008. Mm-hmm. And we, uh, I came across the JBS website. I put in for my, in my information. And like the next day, you called me back. And you said, hey, you put in your name uh, to the JBS website. Uh, jbs.org uh, for the John Birch Society, and I'd like to talk to you. He said, I'm the field quarter for for Florida, but you also said, as it turns out, you only live about three miles away from me. Yes. So a huge yes. state like Florida. So we got together at Dave's Deli, believe it or not, Dave's Deli in the old location, uh, when it was next to the uh, the Tuffy across from Publix in Jonesville before mm-hmm. it moved to Tioga. Um, and as I recall this story, I think we got there about 7 o'clock at night, I think they closed about nine o'clock and we were still sitting there when they were done closing and they pr- pretty much said, look, you guys can't stay here, but you know, you got to go home, but <laughs> yeah. you can't stay here. But Keith, welcome to the Ward Scott Files. Thank, Thank you. you for Glad joining to be me here. here today. So give us a little bit of your background and then maybe kind of correct my version of what actually happened that <laughs> night. <laughs> I think you give me a, a little much credit for getting you involved. Uh, but yeah, my, so, you know, I got married in, in, uh, March of 2001. Things are going great, uh, loving life. And then six months later, uh, 9-11 happened. And that, 
that kind of flipped my world. You know, I thought that having a wife uh, would change a lot of things, but the uh, attacks on the Twin Towers in New York really just um, changed my whole perspective. And so at that point, I started to uh, learn about the Constitution, um, started teaching classes on the Constitution, and I wanted to do more, and I was encouraged to uh, apply for a position on the John Birch Society, which I did, and uh, got accepted, and that was in uh, October of 2007. So w- we met shortly after that. And uh, from what I recall, you were asking about uh, my thoughts on you becoming a, a commissioner, and I thought you were a great guy. I loved you know, what you were saying. It resonated with me, uh, but you know, I I thought that you know the that the county, nice. yeah. I thought I thought the county was not uh, ready to uh, accept uh, um, your positions across the board, and so why uh, why why what why did you think that? I think you were too constitutionalist in your thinking. I think you were you uh, your the principles that that you were you know espousing solid, and and I just don't think that the the climate, particularly in Alachua County, would have. Um, right, done a lot for you, but and I was running for for city. Maybe you thought I was wanting to run for the county commission, mm-hmm. uh, but I remember at that time it was about about the time where the county was actually considering putting uh, the fairgrounds out at Canterbury, which was right in my backyard and a lot of my neighbors' backyard, and uh, that wasn't cool with us. Yes, uh, so uh, and. One of the city commissioners who was really promoting it at the time, he was up for re-election. And because of this whole environment with uh, the Barack Obama uh, wave and all of the stuff that he was talking about just didn't make sense to me. And it really was a season for me of I've got to get off the couch and actually start doing something about it. And I know that there's probably a lot of people in the mm-hmm. audience. I know there's a lot of people that I talk with. You just kind of have to decide, you know, are you just going to you know, read articles about it? Or are you just going to share things on the internet about it all day long? Cause that really doesn't do anything. No, it doesn't. And I've come up with this phrase uh, called informationally obese, mm-hmm. where you're, you're just consuming information and consuming information. At some point you've got to kind of get into uh, the JBS gym or whatever activist gym and start working off some of that education. Cause otherwise we're just going to be the most educated people in the concentration camp. Absolutely. Uh, and I hate to use that metaphor, uh, but, you know, we we pretty much have open-air prisons right now. I mean, you look at California and what happened there in the last couple of years, uh, they're essentially open-air prisons. You know, we're regulated to death. We're taxed to death. Uh, our freedoms are taken away more and more every day. And it's sort of uh, kind of moving into this really accelerated path. And COVID really kind of shined a light on that. And I don't know if you agree, but one thing that I think COVID did for all of us is the fact that it really uh, opened our eyes as to what what could actually happen. Uh, and it actually really kind of exposed a lot of the stuff that we have been talking about as, as an organization for the past 60 years. Mm-hmm. What do you think about that? Well, I think you. Much like the the nine eleven experience was was my opening to uh, the the things that were taking place. I think that COVID kind of hit a wider group of people, and I think it was it was great that um, that it happened. I mean, I hate you hate hearing that, I hate saying that, but there there was so much uh, good that did come out of it. Uh, people became aware of what was happening in schools, and more yeah. people started homeschooling. Yeah. Um, you know, you just couldn't ignore uh, the issues. Well, that's that's for that's for sure. I mean, we've got a lot of different uh, groups. I mean, here just locally, uh, we've you know had a group that was put together that was really watching a lot of what was happening on the school board. That's created a lot of goodwill uh, among people that are wanting to do about it. And I think you're right. I think COVID was sort of that nine eleven moment for some people that just got them off the couch mm-hmm. and started moving. I mean. Locally, just look what happened uh, and contributions that have come from Jeff Childers, a good friend of the show here and a good friend of all of ours. Uh, you know, he has been able to really kind of move the move the needle in his own way. Sure. Uh, and that just kind of creates this ramification and, and, and sort of effect. But 
Uh, thank you all for joining us here again on the Ward Scott Files. We're just getting started here. My guest is Keith Dunn. Um, just a little bit locally here uh, before we get started in, into our topic. You know, the city commission over at Gainesville has actually uh, now tasked their own staff with coming up with a plan that will actually transition GRU over to the governing board of the of the state. Uh, we also have a, a local standout, DeAndre Jenkins, over at Santa Fe Raiders, Santa Fe High School. He has signed with Davis and Elkins College to play basketball, so good for him. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you've got a little bit of prices at the pump uh, going up here recently, which everybody obviously notices. It's kind of funny. It used to be, I remember, your phone bill and everybody was worried about a penny on your long distance charge. That's completely <laughs> That's free been now. A while. Uh, but gas has always been the same way. You know, people get wound up about a penny, but they'll go pay three dollars and twenty nine cents for a soda at a restaurant. Uh, have you seen the prices in <laughs> grocery stores these days? Well, you and I know that's just inflation, and from the money printing at the Federal Reserve uh, that creates all that inflation. I think there might be a brochure about that in the background. Uh, you'll see. It's called Truth. It's over behind uh, Keith's shoulder. But Keith, you and I wanted to try to delve into this constitutional convention topic today and kind of bring a little bit of a a national scope to our kind of local discussion about what happened. So you've got sort of the bigger picture is you've got the convention of states and you've got the John Birch Society uh, kind of on different sides of this issue, but both are are relatively conservative organizations. Why do you think it is that these two groups sort of see this issue differently? Well, I think that the, uh, I don't know, to be honest. Yeah. You know, I don't know why they, because you would assume that they would have a, a similar viewpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, and they don't, they, they're, they're pushing it. And I, and I don't, I can't speculate on the reason why. Well, um, and actually, let me think. Why don't we let's not assume that the audience even knows what the uh, convention, Article Five, sure, Constitutional Convention, actually is. So, give us your overview of what the Article Five says and what kind of this Constitutional Convention is really actually talking about. So, the Constitution is broken up into seven articles, and one article, Article Five, addresses how. Do you change, make changes to the Constitution? Founding fathers realized that they weren't perfect, that if they had made a mistake and there was a deficiency in the Constitution, that they would provide for two ways of making changes, introducing changes. Uh, one, of course, is they can, they can be introduced through, through Congress. Those changes can uh, come up. Uh, all 27 amendments have, have happened the same way. The second one that uh, we're talking about today is a convention that is petitioned by the states. Uh, once a certain number of states make that petition, then Congress has to call a uh, constitutional convention, Article 5 convention, convention of states. There's there's so many terms that are used now for the same basic meeting. Yeah, so it, it becomes a matter of sort of splitting hairs and uh, the technical phraseology that you use, but... Uh, yeah, there's two methods to change the Constitution. One is through Congress and one is through the states. And that kind of built, builds off of the whole premise of this bicameral system that we remember from high school. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was kind of a check and balance uh, because at the time, the House of Representatives represented who? The people. And the Senate represented who? The states. Okay, right. Which so, changed with the 17th Amendment. Right. So, again, it had that bicameral system as well because... The the founders felt that the federal government served kind of two customers, or at least that's how I tell it. So they served the people who were represented through the House, and they served the states. So both had an entity, and they both sort of interfaced with the federal government differently. So they both wanted to have a voice. But like you said, that was one of the amendments that Congress changed, the 17th Amendment, and took the right away from the states to elect representatives. So now everybody is elected by the people. Mm-hmm. The states really have lost their voice in that. Uh, and, and that was really actually pretty detrimental and had a long-term lasting effects Absolutely. that we see today, 115 years later. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
yeah, back in the day, the states would would receive the tax bill. They would have to to pay for the things that the federal government wanted to you know institute throughout the country at large. And so the the states uh, appointed the senators to go to D.C. and then if they uh, you know did things that were uh, um, detrimental to the states, mm-hmm. the Senate hopefully would would check it there in the yeah the second part of that right process because the. The spending bills originated in the House, mm-hmm. got sent over to the Senate for basically ratification or approval. But if they didn't want to pay the bill because they got too much chirping on their <laughs> from their constituents at home, then there was that check and balance. Mm-hmm. And they would say, hey, you know, we're, no, we don't want to pay for this. We're getting too much flack at home. Uh, so that was, I mean, that was a huge uh, equation that the founders kind of built in there that went away with the 17th Amendment. And I know that's a big issue for uh, Harry Wise. I don't know if he's in the audience this morning. <laughs> See uh, Lloyd he, Bailey. Yeah, Lloyd. Shout out to Lloyd. Speaking of people who got people started in the movement, Lloyd was uh, <laughs> Lloyd was instrumental in in uh, my involvement. Fantastic. Yes, mine as well, and certainly in my development. Uh, yep, twenty two cents uh, for gas uh, in Virginia. Uh, I know locally, I think it was up eighteen cents, uh, but just kind of funny how we pay attention to uh, kind of some of the little things but uh thank you all again for joining us here on the chat i'll try to keep an eye on what questions you have if you've got a question it's free for all friday just kind of throw them in there we'll try to get to them as much as possible uh but back to this constitutional convention and uh, the new american did a special report on this issue that you can get at the new and uh or you can contact me i've got copies of this so uh I feel like we've kind of covered what the what the two methods are and the convention of states is really pushing having a constitutional convention because they want to change the constitution uh, from what i can tell pretty much two reasons balanced budget amendment and term limits is there another one that they're kind of really promoting i'm not sure but i think you what you just said there is is really important i think when you asked the question earlier um what's the difference between the John Birch Society and the Convention of States? Uh, from the perspective of the John Birch Society, the Constitution is not the issue. It's not, it doesn't have defects. That's not why we have the problems that we do today. The Convention of States, their, their approach is from the mindset that the Constitution is the problem. That's what needs to be fixed. And if we can just make corrections to the document, somehow those corrections, those amendments, those changes will solve the issues of the day. And so I think fundamentally that's where you see the, the divide. Um, well, let's talk about why, for instance, let's pick, pick them off one at a time. Let's go with balanced budget first. Sure. If we got this balanced budget amendment, um, all things other, that those are the only two topics, which we can get into a debate about whether sure. those would be the only two topics if the convention was called. But let's just talk about the balanced budget amendment first and why that is or is not a good thing or why that would or would not solve the problem. Yeah, so let's start off with the problem. The problem is we're spending too much money, right? Why are we spending too much money? Is it because there's a need or is there authority to spend that money? Uh, From the John Birch uh, perspective, we would say that we're spending money that we are not constitutionally allowed to. And if we cut back that spending, the unconstitutional spending, there's problems that, that... the debt issue would essentially take care of itself. Yeah. Uh, it wouldn't vanish, obviously, but it would it would uh, lend a uh, significant uh, leap forward for us. With um, the Convention of States, they're introducing. I don't know if you've ever looked at these online, but yeah. when they when they submit ideas for a balanced budget amendment, there's always a clause in there. You know, it all sounds really good, but there's always a clause in there that says. If there's a, a national emergency, we can suspend this this uh, these limitations yeah, that, that we're put a, in place. That's a great point. They do all say that, and of course, what's going to happen? Uh, the, we, we've lived in a national emergency for the past yeah. 20, 30 years. So then you you basically cede all authority now over to the president, right. who can declare this emergency. And you have totally lost the, that check and balance yet again. So it's sort of maybe a difference without distinction for a lot of people. Uh, but it, 
you know, to the professional politicians <laughs> in Washington, they know what corners they can cut and what, what they can and can't cut. Sure. So just to summarize and kind of reflect, the balanced budget amendment would not really make any difference because of those clauses. And, you know, from my perspective, all the balanced budget means is the expenditures equal what's, what's coming in. It doesn't actually restrict what the expenses are. They, so they could just ratchet up and have the seesaw effect back and forth between. And I know a lot of them, they'll point to, well, all the states, mm -hmm. the local governments, they have all balanced budget. But what is the one thing that the federal government has that the states and the local governments do not have? Is it called a printing press? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, federal Reserve? Money, money printing press, the <laughs> Federal Reserve. Exactly. Well, if you're joining us late here, I'm Tim Martin. I'm guest host for Ward Scott today. And I'm talking with a good friend of mine, Keith Dunn, uh, about uh, a few different topics. Right now, we're kind of trying to pick off this national issue of the Constitutional Convention that's kind of getting beaten around a lot, even within conservative circles. Uh, so let's kind of jump through a couple of these headlines uh, that people can look up for this sure. issue at thenewamerican.com. And would do. And uh, just one more point on that. Uh, the trigger point is uh, three quarters of the states have to petition Congress. And that's really their only authority is to just ask Congress to call a convention. A lot of the state legislatures get duped into thinking that they'll be able to control it and they'll be able to do all these things. But the only two uh, powers that are afforded the states in the Article 5 convention is the right to call and, and or petition, whatever you want to call it, Congress to call one. And then whatever comes out of it, two-thirds of the states have to actually agree and pass it. And they always talk about that being a backstop, but maybe we'll get into that a little bit more. Um, yeah, but is that really the case? I mean, we have a historical precedent for that happening. I don't know if you want to get into that. Please. <laughs> so back in the day when we uh, uh, first established this great nation, we had what was known as the Articles of Confederation, and that was the law of the land. And in order to make changes to that constitution, that government document, you had to have 100% agreement among all 13 states at the time. That was the clause in the current law of the land. Realizing there were some issues that needed to be addressed, mm -hmm. founding fathers called a convention. Mm -hmm. They met in Philadelphia. They decided to keep the meetings a secret not to release information, and you can make arguments why that was a, a good or bad thing. Um, they also determined that even though they were called to make corrections to our Articles of Confederation, what really needed to happen was that they needed to write a whole new constitution, and that's what they did. And because Rhode Island didn't even show up, they didn't send delegates, they knew they didn't have 100% agreement, so they couldn't use the ratification process of the current law of the land of the Articles of Confederation. Mm -hmm. So they wrote a new clause in in the new constitution that set the uh, the three-fourths limit mm -hmm. for ratification. And it, it was th that ratification in that, that new constitution that wasn't in force yet that allowed it to pass. So they could do the same thing. They could create a new a new document and put in a much lower threshold for, for passage mm -hmm. And this, this, you know, check stop that we are so right. reliant on really wouldn't matter. Right. So we went from basically the 1776 through when was the first convention called? That was in 1787. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, uh, we got the Constitution and passed it on September 17th, 1787. So it was a little bit before that when they called. So we went through, through that first season under the Articles of Confederation before our current constitution was passed in 87 that we've lived under and only changed 27 times uh, in the last 200 plus years. Well, I'd say that's a pretty good track record. Say 20, 25 times because we passed one amendment that we end up taking back. Oh, that's true. The prohibition kind of kind of wiped itself out. True, so. true, 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 true. Well, I'm curious if um, some of the viewers actually knew that and if they knew about the Articles of Confederation. Put that in the chat if you knew that we were actually in the Articles of Confession, uh, Confederation before uh, we got the Constitutional Convention. Uh, but what else on this topic? Let's talk about a couple of other things. You know, 
let's reiterate who actually calls the convention. Does the states actually call it? Well, the states petition. That's right. For the convention, but they can't, they don't call it. Congress is who's given the authority to call the convention. And so then, you know, uh, begs the question, well, who sets the, the, the rules for that? For that call, who is in it? Who's in the convention? Sure, because the states have no authority to say who's in it. Technically, I mean, the well, Article Five doesn't go into that. If if they're allowed to petition the uh, call for a constitution uh, convention, it, petitioning doesn't imply that you get to create the rules. Right. If Congress calls the convention, there's that implication that they would have some sort of uh, say so with how that's set up and established, at least to, yeah. to begin with. Yeah, I think that's a 100% uh, red flag for me. Absolutely. Uh, I, I've talked with state legislatures. I've listened to different sessions of debate within the states, uh, and they all assume a lot, mm-hmm. and they all think a lot of things will happen, uh, but there isn't really that guarantee. I mean, think about the environment of what Washington has right now, I don't think the Constitutional Convention would be any different. I think it would just be as chaotic, as hectic, uh, and frankly, I think it would be as ineffective. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we talked a little bit about the balanced budget. Let's talk a little bit about uh, the term limits issue. Why? So they promote term limits. Uh, you and I agree term limits are pointless and useless and wouldn't actually do any good. Give us your your thoughts on why term, well, term limits would not work. I don't know why you say that, Tim. We have term limits for the president. We have ensured great presidents over the past years, right? <laughs> Here and there. Here and there. No, we, uh, so we, go ahead. We, we have term limits in different, different areas. So the president's one of them. And having term limits for the president hasn't ensured a higher quality president with each cycle. Mm-hmm. Um, term limits basically limits the options that we have to select our uh, people that we send to, to D.C. or the state legislature. Mm-hmm. Um, and so not only do we limit the the bad choices, but we eliminate the good choices as well. So if someone goes to D.C. and they do their job according to the Constitution, they abide by their oath, they automatically get tossed. Mm-hmm. And it's been my experience quite hard to get good people in office and then keep them in office. Because it's about the electorate. Absolutely. I I use the example, if Nancy Pelosi termed out tomorrow, would we magically get some constitutionally abiding, morally ethical, uh, sober individual out of San Francisco? We would probably get a representative that reflected her district. Right. So and that would be someone very similar to, to who's in there today. Uh, exactly. So we're getting close to the bottom of the hour uh, break here, and we're going to step aside in a, in, a, in a minute. But we're kind of closing out a little bit of a topic. Uh, maybe we'll carry over this into the second half of the hour uh, if we haven't talked about uh, a couple of things. We'll, we'll just kind of double check. Was there uh, really kind of anything else on that uh, that you wanted to kind of touch on? Well, I think it's um, interesting to see some of the people that are, are promoting a, a call for a constitutional convention. Yeah. I think yeah. that there are some people that are pushing it that I question their motives. They are, they're uh, expending a lot of energy in the promotion of this. And there's others that I see that um, are suggesting it's a good thing, but they're, they're not really pushing it. They're just kind of lending their, their name to the, the project. And I would, I would say that some of those people are probably not as informed as they could be. Mm-hmm. And so we see some some good people associated with the convention of states or a call for a constitutional convention that may not really um, understand push push for one if they knew they had more information. So it's really important that we get material like this, you know, magazine and, and other pieces out to people and educate them. Right. So you can go to thenewamerican.com and look up some of the articles early in the little magnifying search class. Uh, you can also uh, head over to jbs.org. Uh, we have action projects specifically about this. Yeah, stop we teach classes. Coming. We teach classes about this. Uh, and I'm happy to report that so far, you know, we're about midway through the year, calendar year. Most of the state legislatures have already had their sessions and they're out. And uh, so far, 
uh, in this game of the Constitutional Convention, we've tw- we won 23 battles. The other side's really only won one single battle. So I think over the last couple of years, the track record is on our side and in our favor. And I'm really hoping that we're starting to turn the corner, if not already, about uh, getting off of this uh, trajectory of trying to call a constitutional convention. Folks, you've been watching the Ward Scott Files here. We're at the bottom of the hour. We're going to step aside uh, for a commercial break. But join us back here on the other side of the break for weather, uh, sponsored by our friends here at Lewis Oil Company. Uh, we'll be right back. Thank you so much. Although the owner of Lewis Oil Company maintains she is 29, Lewis Oil turns 60 years old in June. Chevron would like to recognize the North Florida second-generation family-owned business, celebrating its growth and staying power. Lewis Oil Company maintains significant on-hand supplies, strategically located fuel depots, a delivery fleet, on-site service, fuel card locks, and convenience stores. Lewis Oil Company understands its responsibility in the local economy by providing service and delivery on demand and in crisis. As a first responder for 18 Florida counties and the southeast from Texas to Virginia, we are proud of this rare accomplishment. Lewis Oil delivers. This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. Melvin Law, the only official injury partner of the Florida Gators. The Ward Scott Files Gold sponsors are Lewis Oil Company, Shoot GTR, On the Spot Dry Cleaners, RR Construction, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.wardscottfiles.com and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352-284-3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Ward Scott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. Or that very much surprises me that you've never been tased. You can't handle the truth! All bees poop. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pat him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Good morning, good morning. Welcome back to the second half of the hour here. I am your guest host, Tim Martin, pitch hitting for uh, the great Ward Scott here on the Ward Scott Files, brought to you from Melvin Law Studios, protected by Crime Prevention Studios. But uh, today the weather is going to be a little bit weird, uh, so happy Friday to you. <laughs> we are <laughs> probably still going to get up into the the mid-90s, and it looks like nationally we're kind of the only ones that are probably going to have some thunderstorms. There's a little bit pushing up through the uh, the middle of the country up through into Illinois and Chicago. Uh, but the weekend looks very similar. Uh, highs in the mid-90s, uh, overnight in the mid-70s. And humidity is uh, mm, <laughs> muggy as all get out, let's just say. So there's going to be isolated thunderstorms. You know the pattern. This is pretty much the uh, the crapshoot that we deal with here in the Piney Woods of North Central Florida at this time of the year. But mm-hmm. Uh, I would probably say carry a raincoat or umbrella, and we want to thank our friends Lewis Oil Company for sponsoring the weather, as they do every day at this time. Lewis Oil can't say enough about uh, how great they are uh, to the show, so thanks a lot. And uh, if you're just joining us and you've been asleep since uh, 9 o'clock, <laughs> I'm talking to my good buddy Keith Dunn. Uh, we were kind of talking a little bit about this national issue of the convention, or constitutional convention. Uh, pushed pretty heavily by uh, a group called the Convention of States. Um, we are opposed to that. The John Birch Society is, of course, opposed to that. 
because they really kind of suppose that there's something wrong with the Constitution. We say there's nothing really wrong with the Constitution, except for the fact that we're just not following it. We're ignoring it. So we're ignoring it. But then on the second half of the hour, we wanted to kind of, since we, since we kicked off the show of how we kind of got started and got off the couch and started answering that question for ourselves about what to do about it, we wanted to kind of delve into that, talk a little bit about the tools uh, that we use uh, to, to do something about it and kind of empower you as the viewer uh, to do the same if you're at that point of your life and you're tired of just consuming information and you're finally wanting to actually do something about it. So, Keith, what is uh, kind of one of your one of your go-to tools about this kind of what to do about it? I'll give you two. Uh, one, okay. I would, I would suggest, uh, people go to, uh, the John Birch Society, jbs.org. And under the video tab, I believe there's a constitution series called the constitution is a solution. If you don't know the constitution, it's a great resource to kind of, um, learn that. Or if you do know, but need a little refresher, it's, it's a great series. It's like knowing the rules of the game. Absolutely. We know if somebody jumps off sides in football, they get a penalty because we know the rules. Exactly. How are we going to know if the representative is off sides if we don't know the rules? Correct. So, uh, and then the that. second the second item would be the uh, Freedom Index. The okay. Freedom Index is released in the New American, which is the magazine that the John Birch Society produces, and it has um, uh, published twice a year an index that will allow you to look at ten votes. It's not all the votes by any means, but it gives you a small snapshot of what our congressmen are doing, what kind of legislation is being promoted and what votes are, are being made in, in regards to these uh, bills. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, you know, I don't want people to get, get me wrong or get Keith wrong. This isn't, this isn't supposed to be a JBS and new American infomercial, you know, for the audience or anything like that. Uh, but this is just, this is just an expose of how I'm wired, how Keith is just kind of wired. Uh, and what we have come to learn can be effective. Sure. And, and that's really a lot of what it is. It's just how we know you can be effective uh, because we've seen it. I mean, I travel all over the eastern U.S. I know what works and what doesn't work. I mean, you've been around long enough. You kind of get an idea that talking about stuff doesn't always move the ball down the field, right? Yes. And I found out that when you promote their their votes, how they vote, uh, congressmen become very concerned and want to invite you into their office to to have conversations. It's that sounds like you have a story. Yeah. <laughs> Would you like to share that? <clears throat> yes or no? I'm, I'm not putting. Sure. You on well, I I I had a we, we had a congressman here locally, mm -hmm. and I would put together um, all his votes during the course of I think it was maybe his first term, and I would email that out to people, and he would get. Um, he would get calls uh, and emails from folks, and he called me up. He said, Keith, I need you to come in. We need to talk about this. Mm -hmm. And so we, you know, it was a great opportunity to go through and say, hey, this is why I graded, you know, um, these votes according to the Constitution. And, you know, some of the things he agreed with, some he didn't. Mm -hmm. um, but it was, it certainly got his attention. I certainly had had his ear. Yeah. So it was very effective. I've heard this story of, I don't know how many different times all across uh, the Eastern U S where it's really uh, about separating, I think the rhetoric from the reality mm -hmm. and you can have your opinions about how the game went all day. And we do it as armchair quarterbacks on Monday. Sure. Uh, but the score is what the score is. You got X number of points. The other person got X number of points. So, in the Freedom Index, we really kind of translate that to a score. And I want, you know, you wanted to talk a little bit about that. And this, if, if you're interested, it's uh, based on the freedomindex.org, the freedomindex.org. You can go in there and look at how each and every congressperson and senator has voted. And we square it against the Constitution. So if it's a constitutional vote, they get a plus. It's not a constitutional vote, they get a minus. But the one good thing that we do is we kind of do a good job, I think, of explaining that in the Freedom Index. And I'll tell you, Congressman uh, Thomas Massey uh, told me and a bunch of other people 
that the Freedom Index is actually the only blind score. You have, really? Yeah, you have the uh, other, other. let's just call them other liberty-oriented groups that have put out these scores, mm. but every one of them, he said, they'll call the office ahead of time and let them know that they're actually scoring it. <laughs> you know, I think that sort of is uh, them trying to hold their feet to the fire, which I sort of kind of get, uh, but let's see how they act when they don't know. Yeah. And I think that's a little bit better litmus test. Uh, of course, that's a kind of a homer statement because we're obviously organized and related to the Freedom Index. But um, go into it a, l- a little bit more. And so the next issue of the New American is actually going to include this biannual uh, scorecard. Yes. So it's the August 14th issue that's coming out. Right. Uh, if you're a member, you already uh, have a uh, copy, copy of, of the uh, the uh, Freedom Index. But this this will be the first uh, scorecard for the 118th Congress. Right. And it has um, 10 votes for, for the House and 10 votes for the Senate. I think there was an average score of, what, 39 mm-hmm. for the House and 40 for the Senate. Yeah, which one's controlled by which party? <laughs> Who got the better vote? Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to put that website here in the chat. If you guys want to jump over to that, feel free. Uh, but please continue. Yes, and and there were twenty one representatives from the House that scored a hundred, and there were only I think three senators that scored a hundred. <clears throat> I used to when I was out on the road and and speaking to different groups, I used to tell people, um, you know, to to bring this uh, to bear on you individually. You know, ask yourself this question: If I came to you and said, "Hey, I got great news for you." Your spouse is faithful to you 70% of the time. You know, she's cooking you meals and going out on dates and, you know, having a good time. 30% of the time, your spouse is, you know, they're with someone else. They're holding hands in the park or doing whatever. But 70% of the time, they're faithful to you. Would that make you warm and fuzzy? (laughs) Of course, just thinking about that myself, you know, would make my blood boil. And we look at these scores and we go, oh, our congressman scored a, a 60 or they scored a 70 or they scored an 80. You know, that's so much better than the average score. But you got to put it into perspective of this is the oath that they take mm-hmm. when they um, enter office is to abide by these limitations. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you said there were how many uh, representatives that scored 100? 21. And that was in the House? In the House. Okay, Correct. So- uh, obviously, it can be done. Absolutely. And I think uh, over the years, uh, that has been kind of creeping up. There weren't always uh, that many people that, that really even scored that high, correct? That's correct. In, in fact, that's that's a um, very encouraging uh, sign. You know, people say, oh, we don't have enough people. And I would agree. But when I got started in this freedom movement over 20 years ago, I can I could name Ron Paul. Um I'd be hard pressed to name anyone else. I mean, I'm sure there were other people that did well, but uh, you know, they didn't stick out like they do today. Now you have you have a couple dozen, two or three dozen, mm-hmm. and that's still not enough. But it's certainly a movement in the right direction. You know, talking about a hundred hundred percent scores, uh, just for a little encouragement, we have one, what, two, three. Three of those twenty-one in in Florida. Yeah, tell tell the tell the viewers who those are. I uh, I'll skip down to the second half, but if you want to get the two first two there. Yeah. So for Florida, you have our District Eight um, is a Bill Posey. Yeah. And then uh, District uh, Thirteen said uh, Anna Luna. Yep. Yeah. And uh, on a, out of District 19 down in the uh, Fort Myers, Naples area, uh, you've got Byron Donald. So all, th- all three of those out of the 21 nationally uh, are here in Florida. Yes, and I, we should mention um, one other because I think that um, we would have we would have had this. Where was it? Um, Stupid. Yeah. He's a, he's a. He's in District 17, Greg, Greg Stubbe. Yes, uh, Greg Stubbe. He would have been 100%, but we only grade them if they, if they cast enough votes. So he had, he cast 
four correct votes. There were six votes that he didn't cast at all because he had a broken neck. Yeah. So, yeah. We'll, so we'll give out, him out of yeah, commission. We'll, okay. we'll we'll add him to the mix and say there there was one more. Uh huh. So Byron Donald scored a hundred. Bill Posey scored a hundred. Uh, Anna Luna, uh, and I believe she's out of Pasco area, if memory serves. Uh, former military, uh, seems like a great, uh, great lady. So they all scored three hundred percent. How about some of these other uh, decent scores, shall we say? Because they're, I mean, obviously yeah, they're not all perfect. You know, if you if you get a ninety percent, I would say, hey, maybe there was you know an item that. Maybe you misunderstood. I don't, they put I don't know. so much in these bills. Anyway. Certainly, yeah, they put a ton of stuff in the bills that sort of cater to this dichotomy that gives each of these representatives, you know, arguments to go home to their constituents, both pro and con. But that aside, go yeah. On. So Matt Gates out of uh, the Pensacola area, he scored a, a ninety. Cat Kamak, who uh, we should know here locally, she scored a ninety. Um, Mills out of uh, District Seven scored a ninety. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm going to pull up because the, they all got a unconstitutional vote score on one particular thing, which was uh, seven. Yeah, it was seven. So it was the ASEAN relations, A S E A N relations, HR four hundred six, and I'll just read what we have uh, printed here. HR four hundred six would extend provisions of the International Organizations Immunities Act of 1945 to the Association of Southeast Asian Nations, if enacted, the United States would formally recognize ASEAN as an international organization, providing for a permanent ASEAN mission to the United States with the same diplomatic immunities and privileges enjoyed by our foreign embassies. The House passed H.R. 406 on March 23rd by a vote of 338 to 33. Uh, so wicked imbalance there. I assume mm-hmm. it was for and against. We have assigned pluses to the nays because ASEAN is a political and economic age break <laughs> union <laughs> as opposed to an individual sovereign nation. And I think we get the point. I don't need to continue reading. But again, unconstitutional spending is really what what was the the pitfall here on this bill correct correct and it's not a it's not a matter of the constitution not addressing these things yeah you know it clearly has has a position it's just that people violate yeah. those boundaries and it's not to say that some of these efforts aren't uh warranted i know we kind of get into that debate a lot it's not to say that something isn't a good a good yeah. idea or a good um you know a good charity or good this or a good that but it's just not in the Constitution. Mm-hmm. Some of these things are not to be addressed by the federal government. They're left to, as the Tenth Amendment says, to <laughs> we the people and to the Thanks. states. So it's not, you know, like this the civil rights argument. Gosh, I get that up all the time. It's not to say that wasn't a, a, a worthy effort, but it just wasn't addressed in the federal Constitution at the federal level. Because it was meant to be something that was addressed by the states for local control and and local impact. Mm -hmm. And I think that is one of the biggest uh, trip ups that I see kind of on a recurring basis. Mm -hmm. It's a good effort. So we want to help and we want to support it. But we should be doing that out of our own pockets or out of our churches and not through the federal government because they're just against spending and spending and spending. Yeah, I'd love to talk about the uh, eighth vote that that uh, was um, scored. Okay, terminating Dem- Department of Education. <laughs> Boy, this is a, this is a great one. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Yeah, that, you know, um, said uh, during consideration of an educational policy bill, HR five, Representative Massey, who you mentioned, Thomas Massey of mm-hmm. Kentucky, offered an amendment uh, to express the sense of Congress that the authority of the Department of Education, quote, to operate or administer any office or program related to elementary or secondary education should be terminated on or before December 31st, 2023, unquote. Um, Of course, the House rejected this. And again, you know, the the Constitution doesn't give authority to the federal government 
to rule in this area. Yeah. yeah. So there's a there's a, a great um, example. Um, Perfect. So under this whole theme of what to do about it, you know, the first thing is we really need to educate ourselves, and then it's educate others. It's obey the rules, and then enforce the rules. Right. Yes. We talked about that the other day. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is a great place and a great tool to use uh, to get edu- educate yourself and educate others. Uh, but let's talk a little, a couple other things about the what to do about it category sure. uh, that you wanted to get into. Uh, you've got a couple of brochures there. Oh, yeah. Well, one of them was the, you know, does the congressman obey the Constitution? Mm-hmm. And that has a, a little um, QR code that will take you to the, the site I believe you mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. But you can get, you know, these uh, um, pieces to hand out to people to help spread that information. But the the other is the Power of 500. Um, yeah, yeah. So we've got about 10 minutes left here in the Ward Scott Files uh, in the Mellon Law Studios, protected by Crime Prevention Studios. What is, you know, this idea of the Power, power of 500? Power of 500 it is... Sounds like an exercise. The idea <laughs> that if you have at least 500 people... Um, Contacting a congressman, you will, uh, you will have an impact on on what they do in in DC. It's interesting. I just heard a podcast um, a few months ago. I have been in February, where Byron Donalds was saying that if he got a, a single phone call um, to his office about some issue, he would not know about it. He would have no idea that that you had made the call. He said that if you had a hundred calls. Um, made to his office. He said the chief of staff would be aware and the chief of staff would, of course, relay that information to Byron. And this is this is his words. He said, if you have a thousand people contact my office about a certain issue, he said, everyone will know about it. He said, it'll be like a, a fire drill, you know, people trying to take care of that issue. Of course, he used that, that uh, um, thousand number um, we have found in our experience uh, over the course of time in different different parts of the country that you don't need a thousand; it's it's five hundred, um, and even even that five hundred, uh, I don't think is necessary if you, if you have uh, people constantly in contact. With I've you. heard I've heard the number being actually as low as fifty. That could be very well. Uh, you know, fifty phone calls on any one particular topic. Um, heck. You know, I know 50 people. Sure. Uh, so, and I mean, an average congressional district has how many people in it? Like 700,000? It's close to 700,000, uh, give or take. But yeah, so doing the math on the power of 500, del- delve into that because what I think the power of 500 speaks to uh, from a strategy standpoint is really dispels the myth that we get wrapped up into that you've got to have everybody involved mm-hmm. you know we we get into this you know idea of oh we're going to go do something about it they go talk to their spouse the spouse 86 you know squashes them they go to talk to their older kids or their friends and you know they may they get get rebuffed or they get you know talked down or talked out of it but when you start doing the math you realize it's all about the diligent view Mm-hmm. And the power of 500 really speaks to the diligent few. So in the last couple of minutes that we have, we got about eh, about seven or eight minutes left. Uh, can you can you kind of get into the meat potatoes of that strategy a little bit more? So for the John Birch Society, man, again, it's only because that's the that's the um, organization that I found to to work through. Uh, there's other other places, as you mentioned, they're not the only ones. Don't want to sound like a infomercial, but uh, I found working through them, they have a program, uh, 110-6. Mm-hmm. And the six you can think of is kind of like your uh, group of disciples. Those are people that you're pouring into, you're really trying to develop, and hopefully you're recruiting to your efforts to um, do the things that you're doing. You know, um, The 10 are opinion molders. They're the people that are out there that they're your pastors, they're your local officials, they're your sheriffs, your small business owners. Those are people that you um, provide information to knowing that the extent of their reach is much further than yours. So you use those those 10 to kind of expand your touch. And then the 100 
is just a hundred voting households. You want to, you want to put information into people's hands, hoping that they will read that to help make a better informed decision when they go cast a vote. Mm -hmm. So by doing that, by using that, um, method of, of pursuing some people that, that you're hoping to recruit, passing along information to influencers and then, and then touching a, a wider group, you're going to build that 500 over time. You're going to have those numbers grow to where you're, uh, have an impact in your district. Okay. Yeah, I'll uh, I'll try to get that put in the the chat here before we step aside. Uh, but it's a little bit of a kind of a twist or a take or an application, I guess, of sort of the precinct strategy, somewhat like we talk about sure. uh, in political circles a lot within within parties. Uh, again, because it's effective. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really effective. Um, yeah, and I would encourage people to own their precinct. Find out everybody's in a voting precinct. You could you could apply this information to just your voting precinct. If you were disseminating information to the voting households in the precinct that you lived in, uh, that that takes that elephant that we have to eat and chunks it down into bite sized pieces for people. Mm -hmm. And as you as you find others that want to help you in your effort, yeah, that work becomes smaller. It does for and each individual. Yeah, and like you were talking about with the with the ten, you know, I I feel like they they sort of equate to the wholesalers. Sure, you know, they're propagating your message out to even more people because you have that amplification effect mm -hmm. uh, that that really happens. I dropped the YouTube link into the chat, folks, uh, for the Power of Five Hundred video. It's explained by a gentleman that we know, Robert Brown, who actually uh, put together the Constitution as a solution class which we actually just finished mm -hmm. uh, just a few weeks ago. Uh, it's currently kind of a six-part class uh, that kind of delves into a little bit more of these uh, these topics. Uh, and I encourage you to, to check that out, too, at abs.org. Just search the Constitution as a Solution class in there. I think the technical address is jbs.org slash constitution slash video. And maybe after the after the show, I can get that link into the chat as well. Um, Keith, what are some other uh, just kind of closing thoughts about the what to do about it? You know, I ran for office. I've ultimately, uh, you know, been on staff now twice, uh, head of the Republican Party now. And it wasn't necessarily to you know drive the JBS message or whatever, mm -hmm. but it's really about putting some of that stuff into practice. And it's I think when you get into it, it's. It's not really as complicated as people leave it to be. I think a lot of the elected officials uh, who want to stay in power try to make it sound a little bit more complicated <laughs> to dissuade people from getting involved. Sure. Uh, but everybody can do something, right? Absolutely. And what are, you know, what are some, of the, some of the other things that simple things, maybe leave it with just a couple of simple things that people can do that really do have uh, a big impact? Well, um, again, I go back to the John Birch Society. There's um, JBS.org has action programs, and I would uh, encourage people to go find a program that resonates with you. I know with with myself, uh, my wife, you know, wasn't necessarily interested in all the stuff that I was interested in, but I knew she had concerns about education. So anytime there was a, an article about education or a little video clip about education, I would just slowly feed that to her. I found her, her, you know, interest point and, uh, just kind of massage that over time. And, and she, uh, is now more active. So I would encourage people to find your, your kind of interest, uh, point going to the, the website and looking at those programs, pick something, pick one thing and just kind of push on that. Right. And, and get involved in the uh, local Republican Party or, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's a great some... platform uh, to become involved. And whether some of the little things are just making a phone call. I mean, we can role play it here a little bit about sure. how a phone call would actually go when you call your representative. Because me, it's to me, it's just the simplest thing. Ring, ring, ring. You, you call and they say, hi, you know, thank you for calling Congressman or Representative so-and-so's office. Uh, how can I help you today? You can say, well, I just wanted to express my opinion to X uh, that I don't think Y is a very good idea. 
And the John Birch Society <laughs> actually has, if you yeah. sign up for their action alerts, they give you yeah. a script. Yeah, they'll give you a script. You're, you're able to call through that program and yeah. I'll tell you what to say. But that's a 30-second phone call because right after you say, I wanted to let the person know, okay, thank you very much for calling. I appreciate it. And the call is over. Mm -hmm. It's really that simple. You should not be intimidated <laughs> at all. And if you are, and an email is the best, feel free to do that as well. Uh, we have canned emails on different topics, but every one of them have a, has an email address. And you know, just put in the subject what you want them to know about because nine out of ten times they're not going to have the time to really read through the email. But then just get you know a handful of your friends to do the same thing. If you can get those fifty phone calls generated, you're going to get uh, you're going to get some action uh, out of your representative. So as we're signing off here today, this morning, I wanted to thank our new sponsor, Caliber Coffee, uh, to the Ward Scott Files. Uh, if you are into coffee, I'm not, but if you are into coffee, uh, check out Caliber Coffee. Uh, they are uh, a great company. We're happy to have them on board. Uh, thank you for joining us here on the Ward Scott Files. Monday, I am going to have Arthur Thompson, former CEO of JBS, here uh, on Zoom with us in the Ward Scott Files. But have, have a great weekend. Ward Scott Files out.